Well, what's up? I hope everybody is having a phenomenal morning, no matter where you're tuning in from. Um, last week, I was going through the Facebook feed, and we had people tuning in from like Ireland. Um, we had people tuning in from South Africa. Um, we had people tuning in from Seneca, which super excited they've got internet up there. Um, and, and this has been a fun series. We're in the third week of a series on spiritual warfare. Oh yeah, by the way, I want to say hey to our friends in Sweetwater, Tennessee. We never want to forget Life Spring Church joining us just about every week. So hello to all of our friends in, in good old Sweetwater. And for those of you that have never been to Sweetwater, it is a bucket list destination. Not really. But anyway, super excited about this series that we've been in on spiritual warfare. And if you've missed any part of this series, you can go to iTunes um, and download the podcast, Second Chance Podcast, or you can go to the YouTube channel and check it out on the YouTube channel, Second Chance YouTube channel. Um, and if you've missed any of these messages or you want to review, it's great. We're going to um, be in Mark chapter 5 today, if you have a Bible. So Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to go. We're going to pick up this series on spiritual warfare. Now, as most people know, as most people know, um, go ahead and get this out. I turned 47 today. And the, the thing about me getting older is some people say as you get older, your mind begins to deteriorate. I think mine's getting sharper. But a lot of people think your mind begins to, de to like deteriorate, but not mine. Not mine. I've got some things, and all of us are like this. I've got some things that I'm naturally good at, and I've got some things that I've always been horrible at. I just suck at certain things. And one of those things is remembering people's names. I'm awful when it comes to remembering people's names. You can tell me your name and your, and your phone number. I will never forget your phone number, and I will always remember your name. It's one of the weirdest things in, in the world. Recently, we had a guy in um, meeting with us who's a client. He's a really neat guy, and his name was Mike, see, I, I, Logan had to tell me this. I'm not making this up. And he, Mike's a super good guy. He's a super great guy. Mike's sitting there. Pause. Time out. Are we good? Are we good? All right. I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure we have, I thought we were having production issues. So, so Mike, super great guy. I just couldn't remember his name at all. And so finally, I, I, I texted Logan, and I was like, what is this guy's name? And she texted me back, his name is Mike. Now, he looked like a Dan to me. Have you ever done that? You just look at somebody, and they're like, that's Dan. That's Frank. That's Linda. In your mind, his name was Mike, though. So I wrote his name at the top of the paper and made sure we were good, and everything was great after that. On the flip side, people have probably called you the wrong name at certain times. For, um, when I was at a group recently. Everybody's just referring to me as Pastor P. Hey, Pastor P, what's up? Hey, Pastor P, what's up? Pastor P. As I'm leaving, there was a guy, and he started yelling. He just started yelling, hey, Pete, Pete. And, um, and so I didn't turn around because my name ain't Pete, and I kept going. And it was like, hey, Pete. He got a little louder, and I didn't turn around. Finally, he yelled it so loud that it would have been embarrassing if I wouldn't have turned around and looked. And he's looking at me. He goes, hey, I'm talking to you. And I'm like, my name's not Pete. He says, no, you're Pastor Pete, right? I'm like, no, I'm Pastor P. We got that straightened out. But we all know what it's like to be called the wrong name. And we all know what it's like to call somebody the wrong name. That's really going to fit in in the message today because I believe one of the biggest elements of spiritual warfare is that we allow the enemy to call us by the wrong name. When we say spiritual warfare, as we talked about in week one, I'm not talking about people's heads turning around and, and people throwing people across the room and like blood oozing out of the wall. That, that's Hollywood stuff. The spiritual warfare that I'm going to talk about today 
is, it's, it's one of the most real, intense issues, but we don't see it as spiritual sometimes. And because we don't see it as spiritual, or because some people try to get too spiritual about it, the problem never gets solved. So we're going to pick up today in Mark chapter 5. We're going to pick up today in Mark chapter 5, um, uh, verse 1. They went across, they, meaning the disciples, they went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Now, I want to pause real quick and just kind of unpack this verse for just a second. We know uh, later on in the, from reading later on in the text that the man is naked and, he's in, and, and impure spirit means he's demon-possessed. Now, let's just kind of unpack something for him because if I'm one of the disciples... Like if I'm Peter, James, John, this is my I have had enough moment. This is my you've got to be kidding me moment. Because let me review, okay? The day before, they had worked really hard. Mark chapter 4, Jesus is doing some amazing teaching. He has to get in a boat. They have to push out from the shore. The disciples are kind of doing crowd control, kind of getting everybody around. And then after all day of teaching, we talked about this last week, when evening came, when evening came, that's when we got to kind of prop up our feet. They're getting ready to watch some Netflix and kind of chill a little bit and relax. And Jesus says, no. Let's go over to the other side, which is the other side is where the Gentiles were. So they weren't supposed to go there because Jews didn't associate with Gentiles. And so this is just a jacked up situation. So Jesus says, no, let's go over to the other side. So they get in the boat. As soon as they get in the boat, Jesus goes to sleep. That would be like somebody going, hey, let's take a road trip and drive all night. And as soon as you get in the car, the person that recommended the road trip goes to sleep. Okay, so, every, so the disciples are like, great, we got to row across. The, and, and all of a sudden, bam, storm comes. And Jesus is sleeping during the storm. So they wake Jesus up because they think they're going to die. Jesus gets up. He rebukes the winds and the waves. And when they finally land on the other side, they land at a graveyard with a naked, demon-possessed man yelling at them. At this point, I'm out. I'm like, you know what? I'm out. I would have I preferred a different greeting. But the graveyard? I don't know about y'all, but I, I kind of confessed this in week one. I don't do scary stuff. I remember being in high school, and some of my friends kind of sitting around. We were sitting around one night, and they were like, let's go to a graveyard. And I'm like, No. Let's, let's not go to a graveyard. Like, no, no, let's go to a graveyard. Like, let's go to McDonald's. That's that. Well, if you go to McDonald's enough, eventually you'll wind up in the graveyard. But, but I don't like scary places. But the thing I find fascinating about this right here is Jesus wasn't scared to go to unsafe places and be around unsafe people. Jesus, don't miss that. Jesus wasn't scared to go to unsafe places and be around unsafe people. Going to, going to Bible studies are good for our theological you know, information, but if we're going to be more like Jesus, we're going to have to get out of some classrooms and into some bar rooms because Jesus wasn't scared to go to unsafe places and be around unsafe people. We'll keep going. We'll keep going. The, uh, the Bible says, the Bible says, oh, I wrote this in my notes. Let me just kind of say this before I move on. Isn't it amazing that the demon-possessed guy 
was drawn to Jesus. It's just one of those things where I believe if people really do see Jesus as who he is, they can't resist him. Not even a guy who had 6,000 demons. And so we'll see that later. 6,000 demons. That's a lot of demons inside of him. All right, let's keep going. I want you to notice that this guy, number one, was isolated. Three things about this guy I want you to write down. Number one, he was isolated. Isolated. He, the Bible says in the very next verse, this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Now, confession, I don't, I don't watch a lot of television, especially this time of year, because I'm a sports fan. And this is kind of like sports purgatory for somebody that I'm a true sports fan, which means I like football and basketball. Some of you love baseball. I can't watch a baseball game on TV. I don't want to watch a race on TV. I don't want to watch golf on TV. Those of you that are excited about the World Cup, it's not that exciting. They run around and yell for 90 minutes and nobody scores. I mean, this is like, I, so I don't watch a lot of TV. But when I do watch TV, because I have ADD, I like to channel surf, and I just surf the channels. I, any, I don't know if anybody's a channel surfer. The other night, though, I'm watching, and I, the, is it like the Animal Planet? Is that a TV show? Is that the, the Animal Planet? Okay, Animal Planet. And there was these lionesses trying to get this, like, antelope or whatever. And they were talking about how the lionesses, the lions, they're just kind of sitting over here chilling, relaxing, and the lionesses are hunting, like they go to the grocery store, right? So they're out trying to get this antelope, and they were talking about one of the tactics that they used was isolation. So when the lionesses would come up on this pack of like antelope, they would, they would surround, and they, would, they wouldn't attack the pack. They would try to get one, isolate it, and then that turned out to be groceries, dinner for the evening, right? And they would carry the antelope back, and they're the circle of life and the Lion King and all that stuff. So, so... It started me thinking, though, that's how the enemy works. Because before he can isolate us, or before he can destroy us, he wants to isolate us, which is exactly what happened to this man. He was isolated. He was living in the tombs, and no one could bind him. No one was hanging out with him. He was all by himself, which in our culture today, I would be willing to bet you that there are more people struggling with loneliness than any other time in history, which is insane because there's over 8 billion people on the planet. Because of our devices, we're more connected to people, to more people than we've ever been connected to. Yet, at the end of the day, there are more people struggling with loneliness than ever. And the reason why I believe it's spiritual because the enemy, listen, before he can destroy us, He's got to isolate us, which is why I'm super pumped about us actually getting a physical location this September and being able, act, being able to do church every single week. In fact, I wrote this down. I had this thought, and I wrote this down this week so I wouldn't forget it. We will never become the greatest version of ourselves apart from one another. You and I will never become the greatest version of ourselves apart from from one another. You've heard people say it, and I make fun of it all the time, and I'll continue to make fun of it. All I need is Jesus. Well, if all you needed was Jesus, then why did Jesus show up and surround himself with people? If Jesus needed people, we need people. 
But we see one of the first problems this guy has is he's dealing with isolation. Number two, he was rejected. Rejected. We'll, watch, we'll read this in the next verse. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Now, how many of you have ever met in your life at least one crazy person? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. How many of you are sitting next to that crazy person? Okay, i just just curious. Um, go ahead and tell you something about religious people. Religious people are crazy. They're crazy. I remember one time my dad was in the hospital and um, visiting my dad in the hospital. And hospitals wig me out. I, I don't know how to, I always get nervous in hospitals. Anyway, so I'm visiting my dad in the hospital, and like I had a friend with me because I always took a friend because I didn't know if I was going to like pass out because I, I, I do that in hospitals sometimes. And so me and my friend are there. We're visiting my dad, and there was this charismatic preacher. I don't know if they do this anymore, but the preachers used to go to the hospital and just randomly walk the halls and walk into rooms and ask people could they pray for them. Do they do, do, they do that anymore, Jay? Yeah, they do? Okay, yeah. I, you don't ever have to worry about me doing that because I would just walk in your room and pass out. So this charismatic preacher, and I love charismatics. I love charismatics. Heaven's going to be louder because of them. So I, I think they're great people. But he walks in, and he's an older man. He's super soft-spoken. He's like, how you doing, Brother Noble? And I was like, you know this guy? And he's like, Dad was like, oh, yeah, he comes in every day. And uh, my dad was like, I'm fine. He goes, man, is there anything I can be doing for you? And dad said, no, I'm good. He goes, you need, you need me to refill your water. And, I mean, there was a real, real neat conversation. And then before he leaves, he said, Brother Noble, would you mind if I prayed for you? My dad said, no. And he looked at me and said, could, could we hold hands? I was like, yeah, because I mean, I guess if you hold hands, it, it makes the prayer stronger or something. I, I don't know. And we all bowed our head, and this guy goes, God in heaven, like he starts yelling at the top. I'm like, did God go deaf? Like what, what just happened to God? <laughs> Nurses are running in and I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm not Catholic, but I'll try whatever to get this guy to shut down. He started yelling because in some people's minds, true story, by the way, in some people's minds, if you yell at God, God has to listen, right? Religious people do crazy things. And don't miss this. Religious people sometimes do cruel things. Because let's just think through this for just a second from the perspective of this man. For he had often been chained hand and foot. Stop. Who did that to him? Who, can we admit that that's cruel? Like CNN, Fox News, everybody would be covering this. If you chained somebody, and but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons... The reason he was chained is because the religious system in this particular part of the region thought if somebody was demon-possessed, the way you got the demon out of them is you would chain them and throw water on them and then use certain chants and incantations and eventually the demon would come out. And that's how this guy got in chains. It's because, listen, listen, religion always chains people up, and Jesus always sets people free. That's how you know that the difference between religion and Jesus. He was, he was chained hand and foot. This is, this is one of the cruelest things I've seen in the scriptures. But what is fascinating 
is the people don't he was rejected, but over and over and over again in the scriptures, the people that were rejected by Jesus are rejected by religion were pursued by Jesus. Think about it. The people in the scriptures that were rejected by religion were always pursued by Jesus. Jesus got in the most trouble because of who he hung out with, not necessarily what he taught. So we'll keep going, okay? Third thing this guy was is he was deceived. He was deceived. I don't know if you've ever been deceived. I had a friend of mine, true story, got an email from a prince in Africa. Have you, have you gotten one of these emails? The prince in Africa? It's awesome. And this prince in Africa, if you can believe it, was having financial problems. <laughs> because he had not came into his inheritance yet. And he needed $800. My friend literally sent this guy $800. Because the promise was when he got his inheritance, he would send her back 2000 how many of you think he, she's got her 2000 yet? Yeah, yeah, because she got scammed. She got deceived. We live in a world full of deception. And this is what the enemy wants to do to us as well. The Bible says, night and day among the tombs, because so he's living in the graveyard, watch this, and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Now, if you're reading this at a surface level, you're like, why would he do that? Why would somebody actually hurt themselves? Now, what I'm about to teach you, what I'm about to teach you is what I call the circle of destruction. And it's something I've been working on for about two years to really get into the mentality of why people will hurt themselves. Ultimately, th this answers the question. Some people go, why do people, um, why do people take their own lives? I'm about to show you why. I'm about to show you why. It's called, the circle, it's called the circle of destruction. The first thing that we've got is trauma. Now, trauma is different things to different people. And in fact, let me just say this. You can't define trauma for somebody else. If somebody is telling you about something that has deeply hurt them, or I mean, they're deeply wounded by it, and you look at them and go, oh, dear God, just get over that. You, like, you should be beaten, like, right there. Like, somebody should cause trauma in your life. Because trauma is, it, this, this could be something that happened to you when you were a kid. This could be something that happened to you last week. This, you can't, I can't, we can't define trauma for anybody. And just about everybody that's a human being that's willing to be honest would have to admit that at some point in your life, you and I, we've all had to deal with some sort of trauma. Now, what trauma leads to, what trauma leads to is isolation. When we begin to think about the traumatic event, when we begin to think about what we went through, we want to naturally isolate and get by ourselves because this is the lie that we believe. And I said we because I've bought into this lie so many times. Nobody understands me. Nobody get, I'm the only person in the history of the world that's ever dealt with this problem. It doesn't make sense when you articulate it out loud. But everybody understands. Listen, when you have trauma, either caused by you or somebody else, you don't really want to talk about it or deal with it. And so we tend to isolate, which leads to self-pity. Now, 
Everybody in this room has heard, oh, so-and-so, they're just having a pity party. Oh, so-and-so, they're just having a pity party. Well, you know what? It might be a legitimate pity party because people feel sorry for either what they allowed or what they did. When we get by ourselves, no, nobody ever pumps yourself up. Nobody, nobody I'm going to go get in a room, I'm going to encourage myself, I'm going to come out. I'm gonna, when we get by ourselves, the enemy always leads us to negative, self-deceptive thoughts. And we wind up feeling sorry for ourselves, which leads, the last part of the circle, is self-hatred. Self-hatred. We wind up hating the people or the person that we are. This is where suicide happens. This is where cutting happens. This is where eating, order, eating disorders, alcoholism, all that stuff, this is where it all takes place. This is, and, and by the way, by the way, let me, just, let me just say this as nicely but as forcefully as I can. You don't tell somebody that this can't be fixed with a Bible verse and a coffee meeting. This can't be fixed by telling somebody, just read your Bible and pray more. This has to be dealt with on so many levels. But this is the deception that so many people, so many people wind up right here because, listen, we don't get here naturally. We cycle through, we get alone, we feel sorry for ourselves, and before we know it, there are people right now in the sound of my voice that literally hate the person that you are because of something that happened when you're six or 12. And I'm, not make, I'm saying that's legitimate. But I'm saying there's hope on the other side. As somebody, don't miss this, I'm not talking about this. I didn't come up with this theory. This is the circle I lived through. And the reason I know there's victory, the reason I know you can break this cycle is because Jesus is allowing me to continually break this cycle over and over and over again. So let's keep reading. The Bible says, when he saw Jesus, so when the demon-possessed naked guy saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Je don't miss this. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Jesus had already commanded the impure spirit to come out. So don't, don't miss this as far as spiritual warfare goes. This is not a boxing match. This is not a toe-to-toe. -to -toe. This is not like, like going like two equals going at it and you're trying to figure out who's winning. Jesus is clearly the authority here. Jesus is clearly winning this. And all he, he hadn't really said anything other than come out of him. He's just kind of standing there. All right, so we see this next section. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Legion was a reference to a, Roman, a group of Roman soldiers that numbered about 6,000. Here's, here's what I want to point out, and this is, this is why it's so important. Jesus asked the man, what is your name? And the man didn't say, my name is Frank. My name is Bob. The man said, my name is Legion. Don't miss this. 
He chose to identify with his dysfunction rather than the name that he was given. And so, what this man dealt with is the some of the same things that we deal with today. Like, if somebody were to ask you, what is your name? Maybe some of us would answer, my name is Disappointment. You know what I, you know what I finally discovered? I finally discovered. I'm going to disappoint somebody every single day of my life. And so are you. I'm going to disappoint somebody, but just because you disappoint people does not mean that your name is disappointment. But there are some people here today watching that this is how you felt all your life. Maybe your parents told you you were a disappointment. You know, moms and dads, we got to really watch the words that we speak over our children because they, they, they weigh a thousand pounds. And if we tell our kids they're a disappointment, you know what? They'll never forget that stuff. There are some people you feel like a disappointment or, or maybe, maybe you feel like a failure. Maybe your name is failure. Maybe you answer to that name. Maybe if somebody were to ask you, who do you think you really are? You would say you're a failure because there's been, there's been a failure in your life. Maybe you failed at a job. Maybe you failed at a marriage. Maybe you failed with uh, raising kids. I mean, there's, there's all of us have had failures in life, but don't miss this. Just because you've had a failure doesn't mean you are a failure. Let me say it again. Just because you've had a failure doesn't mean you are a failure. But so many people identify with this name that it keeps us in that cycle of destruction. Here, here's another one. Unloved. Unloved. I, it's amazing to me the number of people that I've had the privilege of talking to over the years, that this is how they feel, unloved. Because ultimately, just like the guy in this story that we talked about before, you've been rejected at some point. You were, you were rejected by um, a mom or a dad or a sibling or a spouse. You were, you were rejected by a child. You were rejected. And when you get rejected, the natural feeling that overflows from that is, I am unloved. And this is the name. That some, oh, oh, and let me just kind of go ahead and tell you. When a person answers to this name, the things that they will do or the things that they will allow to be done to them are pretty devastating. Uh, the next name that some people answer to is ungodly. I'm ungodly. I'm just ungodly. Now, I answer to ungodly when I'm stuck in traffic. Um, there is nothing godly about my heart, my mind. My, Jesus does not have control of my mouth. Um, but the, the thing is, there's, there's some people, listen, isn't it funny? Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny? How the religious community in the world today will identify you by something you did 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And, and they will call, oh, yeah, that's the person that did so-and-so. That's the person that, that, they, that's the person that did so-and-so. Ungodly. This last one is, is kind of personal to me, but when I preach, it's got to be personal or there's no, there's no real emotion in it. Disqualified. You know, I allowed myself to be identified by this word, for far too long. 
It's what others called me, and it's what I called myself. And I allowed my, my identity to get caught up in that. And it never leads to a good place. But instead of these names, I, I think there's some names that Jesus wants to call you today. These aren't things I'm making up. These are things that come straight out of Scripture. In fact, instead of disappointment, I would say you're unconditionally loved. Unconditionally loved by Jesus. There's not a single person listening to this message. I don't care where you are. I don't care what you've done. That you are not unconditionally loved by God. Then you know how this hit me? This hit me um, several years ago. I had this dream. There was this event and I was like, oh my gosh, if I could ever speak at that event, I would have made it. I, I don't know if you've got that thing that you want to do and you've made it. And the event was a big event. It was a leadership conference and people were going to come to this leadership conference. And I wound up being able to speak at this event. 15,000 people in the room. I'm on the center stage. I'm telling these people about God, Jesus, and leadership, what I got done. Everybody clapped. And I was absolutely certain in that moment that God loved me because I had performed well. Four years later, I'm in a treatment facility in Tucson, Arizona at rock bottom. And in the preparation for this message, God showed me as clear as day that he loved the Perry and the treatment facility as much as he loved the Perry that was on stage in front of 15,000 people. And if that's true about me, that's true about you. You are unconditionally loved by God. Number two, you're completely accepted. Completely accepted. Here's the cool thing about Jesus. You just come as you are. This is, I've had people actually say this. I would love to give my life to Christ, but I just don't know that I could, I could do it. I could be godly. I could live for him. You can't. That's the good news. <laughs> and he knows that. It's not going to be like, oh my gosh, I never thought you were going to sin again. The deal is, we don't have to, I've, I've said this before, you don't clean up to take a bath. If you're nasty, you just take a bath. When you come to Christ, that's what happens. He accepts you. You don't have to change anything to accept Jesus today. But through life, as you walk with him, he will change you. And anytime he makes a change in our life, it's not from good to bad. It's from bad to good or it's from good to great. So I don't care who you, I don't care. Listen, I don't care if you're watching this and people have said, you're too ungodly, you drink too much, you're gay, you're wrong, you voted for Hillary Clinton. Like I, people have always, I mean, there's always something that people tell you you've got to change before you come to Jesus. And I'm telling you, there's nothing you have to change to come to Jesus. All you have to do is just say, Jesus, I want you in my life. And you are completely accepted in that moment. Will he change you from there? Yes. But you know what? It's different for every single person. It's not a program, it's a process. The third name I would call you is remarkably valued. You are remarkably valued. The, the value of something, I think we could all agree on this, is determined by the price that someone is willing to pay. Agree? Agree? I had a friend recently that went to... Um, Europe and toured a bunch of art museums. You would have loved that. It's great. And, and he said 
they would go through and they would say, this painting's worth a million. This painting's worth 400,000. And he was showing me pictures of the painting. And I was like, I wouldn't pay a million dollars for that. Looks like somebody put paint in their mouth and spit on a canvas. I mean, that, that's what it looks like. And they're like, oh no, this was so-and-so. I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. But you know what? The value of something is determined by the price that somebody's willing to pay. Somebody out there is willing to pay a million dollars for vomit on a canvas, right? And so that, that's, that's the value. Now, if we can all agree that the value of something is determined by the price that someone is willing to pay, how valuable does that make us if Jesus gave his life for us? Because Jesus didn't die for junk. The next is unquestionably called. God has called us out of the abnormal or out of the normal into the supernatural. Every single person, if there is air in your lungs, God has a plan for your life. Somebody reached out to me on social media this week, literally asking the question. They asked me the question, how do I know that God isn't finished with me yet? And I just, I just hit them back with two words. You're breathing. That's how you know. That's how you know. For me, this is where I had to arrive. In fact, somebody sent me a text this week, um, and I wrote this down because this was so cool. We were kind of corresponding. It's a family member. And she sent me this text. She said, sometimes the difficult things we face in life can leave us feeling disqualified. But what if the things you're tempted to think disqualify you are the very things that will become your greatest messages? Last but not least, you're able. Able to do what? You're able to do exactly what God has called you to do. You're not a failure. You're not a disappointment, not to God. You can't disappoint God because he knows everything about us. If you could disappoint God, then, then you could surprise him and you can't surprise God because he knows everything. You're not unloved by God. You're not, listen, every single person in this room this week this week my prayer for us is that we would be we would start we would learn to start calling ourselves by the right name in fact some of you need to just write this, write these names down every day this morning get up and say i am unconditionally loved i am completely accepted i am remarkably valued i am unquestionably called and i'm able to do exactly what god has called me to do because this right here leads to the that cycle of destruction this right here leads to the abundant life that jesus promised all of us that we could live with that in mind let's pray father thank you so much that you so clearly identified in the scriptures who we are in you. You left no doubt, God, that we are loved and accepted and valued. And just, God, there, there, there is so much value in each and every person. No matter what our past has been, the potential of our future is absolutely amazing as we identify with you. Father, I pray for everyone watching, listening this message today, who has allowed the enemy to tell them that they're a failure, they're a disappointment. They're, they're, they are unloved and unvalued by you. Father, I pray that right now, Jesus, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak life 
with heads bowed and eyes closed. I don't know who this message was for today, but somebody needed to hear that you're unconditionally loved. You're unconditionally loved. You're completely accepted, remarkably valued, unquestionably called and able. Maybe, maybe under that completely accepted, some of you never have given your life to Christ because you're like, maybe I've been too bad and I'm not sure I could, I could do it. Listen, I'm absolutely sure you could follow Jesus one step at a time and it begins with you saying yes to Jesus. Yes, I want you in my life. So if that's you, if you're watching today online, or if you're in the room or you're watching at LifeSpring and you want to give your life to Jesus, you, you are accepted by Him. You just want to receive that acceptance and, and give your life to Christ. Then right where you are, I want you to pray right now just in your heart and just say, Jesus Christ, right now, I surrender my life to you. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sins. I receive that payment, Jesus. Show me how to live for you the rest of my life, the best I know how. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just prayed to receive Christ, if you're watching online, if you'll, do, if you'll hit the hand raise thing, if you're watching on Facebook, if you'll give us the hand raise emoji, if you're at LifeSpring, if you just put your hand up in the air right now. Just If you're at LifeSpring, just put your hand up in the air right now because we want to celebrate with you no matter where you are and help you take your next steps in your walk with Christ. Father, thank you so much for the hands. Thank you so much for the lives that you are changing. We ask this in your name. Amen. Hey, listen, if we can pray for you this week, going back to that cycle of destruction that I talked about, the only reason I know that so well, the only reason I can teach that so passionately is because I know what it's like to live there. In fact, naturally, that's where our minds drift if we're not careful. So if we can pray for you this week, and I mean this, if we can pray for you, shoot us an email, hello at perrynoble.com, or reach out to us on Facebook. We would love to know how we can pray for you because I understand what it's like. Listen, you can't, you can't fix it with a Bible verse and a cheesy Christian saying, but you can get the process started by identifying yourself as unconditionally loved and accepted. And for those of you that are asking, we've had more and more questions. In fact, we had somebody email last week. I'm not going to say who they were um, because it'd be embarrassing. And they said, super disappointed, drove up to Second Chance last week um, to meet with you guys in your new building and you weren't there. True. We weren't there because we're here. Um, We will not be in the new facility until probably mid-September, mid-September, for those of you that are like, when's mid-September? Football season. That that got it for most of the people. So football season. Um, And for those of you that have been given to the 250K fund, thank you so much for giving. It's making a big difference. We're going to get some pictures of the construction and stuff as soon as construction starts happening. We're in the permitting process now. And once again, thank you for every one of you that give faithfully to Second Chance every week because you're giving so faithfully. We've been able to get this process started. And in September, we're going to be able to meet together and celebrate every single week the work of, that God's doing in our lives, in our communities. I love you guys. Have a great week. God bless. The best is yet to come.